Okay. What do you think if I say the words public health and health care? I'm guessing it's going to provide some sort of reaction. Probably a strong one. I know it does for me. I certainly have some, what I believe is well thought out opinions and um, ideas related to those two things. And certainly being in the time of COVID-19 and what's going on with the health of our nation, I'm sure many people are thinking about it. It's on the top of their mind. Today on Dr. D's Social Network, we have Dr. Noor Ali, who is very unique in my mind being a physician and also uh, someone who works in health insurance. A really interesting perspective that she provides. This episode is full of chunks of amazing information. It's a must listen about public health, vaccination, healthcare, everything in between. So check out the conversation I had with Dr. Noor Ali. All right, we are here. We finally made it to this day, Dr. Noor Ali. Today. I know. Yes. Hi. I've been waiting for today for quite some time. <laughs> so I'm excited. Today is the day. Today is the day. We've had a several conversations. So it's been nice to talk to you off air as well. Yeah, yeah, we did actually. I learned um quite a lot about you before coming on, so I'm happy that we're having this conversation finally. Yeah, definitely. I uh I was looking forward to it too. And uh, thank you for being so helpful uh with me. I appreciate that. Sure, sure. That's what we got to do, help each other, yeah. I think it's a big part of what's happening and today in our society, we need people to really rally together and help each other a bit more, you know, focus on our humanity and our our commonalities, you know. You're right, especially like, you know, with the scale of what's going on, you know, this isn't just a community problem or a nationwide problem. We're like in a global type of crisis, right? So, you know, we just got to pull together, do what we can do. And even though the changes can be small steps, but we have to have that global mindset that what we're going through in, in our homes and in our little communities, someone else is going through that, you know, halfway across the world as well. So speaking on that and kind of what's going on, um, unless you've been in a cave <laughs> with no technology, <laughs> you know what's been happening. I'm curious as um, a healthcare provider physician, what you think of what's happened over the past six, seven months? Hmm, that's such a broad question. And, you know, of course, there's so many angles and so many things I can say. Uh, but I do have a background in public health, you know, with a focus in global health and pandemics definitely fall under that category. Um, I think my thoughts are, instead of really trying to go back in time and figure out what, you know, of course, the, the source of the, from an epidemiological perspective, the source is, of course, absolutely um, important. But instead of like focusing on how did this happen? What was a source, we really need to focus on what we need to do to get past this once and for all, you know, focus our thoughts and energy on that. That's really just going to help us progress. And and the byproducts of that process of trying to f- to find the solution to move forward. And by byproducts, I mean things like this new work from home culture, like the way big corporations are restructuring their whole business models to accommodate for this new way of living. Um, you know, those are the things we really need to be focusing on um, instead of looking backwards. We should be looking forwards. So what are some things, you know, I know there's a lot of attention made about vaccinations and related to public health. What's your take on that as some as being in that realm? Like, 
where are we headed with that? Or where would you like to see us headed with that? Yeah, great question about vaccinations. And I think there's there's two parts of this that we always need to consider. The vaccine itself is very scientific, biological, you know, the actual solution itself, you know, what antibodies are created to create this actual vaccine. And then there's a business side of, of a vaccine, the manufacturing, the distribution, the safety protocols, um, and of course, the, the pharmaceutical companies that create the product who are pushing for their agenda as well, right? So from the history, what we know is a vaccine a successful, safe vaccine has taken, you know, up to a decade to establish, you know, to be able to, to distribute, especially on, on a global scale. So I, I just want to kind of keep expectations or keep that in mind that even though we, we pro probably have made leaps and bounds in progress from a biological standpoint to coming to a solution, keep in mind that some it could take much longer than we want uh, to be able to have something to the to safety and efficacy level to be mass distributed. Well, what's the efficacy level that is normal and uh, what are we shooting for here? That's a great question. And there's standards, you know, every nation, uh, you know, the FDA will have their own standards. So I can't speak right now in terms of, you know, specifics, but each country has their own governing body that sets these standards. Um, and to, sadly, you know, again, due to the business aspect of it, sometimes these standards are a little modified to help get these products out faster than we'd want to. Um, so some of the things that we look for, some of the markers are, you know, the lethal level, the um, tox toxicity level, what side effects are, is it okay to, to, to bypass or not bypass to, you know, say like, okay, we can release a product with these side effects, but which side effects can we completely not ignore? So a lot of variables and factors go in here. Uh, what do you think about people who are very hesitant to have a vaccination that may be coming out way earlier than a timeline that you proposed? Sure. Um, you, you know, you have to kind of make your own decisions and, you know, do your own research. But vaccinations are what scientists have toiled for for decades and centuries. You know, we have come so far along um, to prevent diseases that we can save generation, our children from, ourselves from, generations from. If we are presented with a safe and, and efficient and high efficacy product, a vaccine, we should not hesitate to take it to protect ourselves and our families. We have come such a long way, such a long way. You know, if you look back in history and the and the, the number of people that have died from lack of vaccinations, and now we have vaccinations, or you're, and you're going to say no, you know, definitely don't say no, but Keep, keep things in mind. You know, you you got to make the best decision for yourself. But when you're doing research, don't go on Facebook and see what other people oh are doing. Oh my god! Please don't do that. Please. Yeah, don't go on. Well, don't do that. I, I read that. Um, what I feel is from reputable sources, definitely mm. not Facebook. No. That there could be about 25, 30% population-wise that uh, will refuse to take a vaccine of any kind. I mean, is that kind of a normal stat in general for vaccinations or? Maybe nowadays it is now it's normal, which boggles my mind because, like I said, we've we've worked centuries to develop. It's it's like magic to me. A vaccine is like a magic. Yeah. It's magic, you know. Here's a disease that you can die from, but if you take this one shot, there's a 99% chance that you will not contract and die from this disease. What can be more magical than a solution like that? I I agree with you. I, I wonder <laughs> the mindset though. Of do you encounter the mind, the opposite mindset from other people? Or, you know, what is that like? That conversation like? 
Oh, that's such a great question. And I've asked this to myself and to others, like what is in your heads that gives you this opposite mindset? And here's what I've come across because I've had this question and I have done research myself. It's one, it's the source of the information and two, it's fear. You know, it's actually a parents, a group of parents who have a fear and, of course, want the best for their kid. Mm-hmm. But they read resources, they read about experiences, and they highlight those as the basis for their, you know, decision-making process when the focus should really be on evidence-based research. Um, but when you're not a professional in the field, you can't make that differentiation sometimes, like, is this a credible source or not? Um, You know, as a parent, when you're reading all this stuff, you're like, well, to me, this is a credible source, you know, these are other parents who have gone through it. So, um, you know, that's just what I've, the little that I know about mindset about why you'd be of the other school of thought. Have you had to do a lot of education with people over this time period about public health and kind of the advancements in that, or what your thoughts about how we take care of each other? Um, what I try to do, um, Dr. D, is is um, make some informational and educational videos really specific to what I do now, which is health insurance, but also public health as well. Um, so one of my most popular videos during this time was explaining what flattening the curve means. You know, that was a big like hashtag kind yeah. of trending movement when COVID first started. So um, I took some time to make a video that explains what is the curve and what does it mean to flatten it um, and what we can be doing as a social responsibility to help. So I try to do you know, little pieces of information like that to, to share and spread knowledge. Do you have an idea of kind of timelines of viruses? You know, you hear different things that this may this may be more of an endemic based virus, sure. versus, you know, versus something that can be eradicated. What do we know at this point? Great question. And there's just so little that we know, which is what makes it so much harder to contain. Crazy. I, and I <laughs> yeah. know. And the stats are, are, it's just evolving because we, and how we're learning, I mean, it's not great, but it's the truth is we're learning from those that get sick, right? They come in with symptoms and we try to, we, we're trying treatments that work. We're trying treatments that don't work. And that's how we're, we're really trying to learn. And it hit us so hard and so fast. We didn't really have the time to research this virus in a lab. We're having to research this virus from the patients that come in dying in the ER. Mm. You know, um, it's sad, but that that's what it is. And that's also why we just know so little, because we just didn't have the time and the capacity um, to do that level of research. Well, let me ask you this related to that. Should we have, it's kind of a loaded question. Should we have known that something like this was going to happen at some point and prepared better for it? Honestly, Dr. D, I think things like this are impossible to prepare for Mm. um, in terms of anticipating, you know, would you, if I asked this question to anyone, would you know that we were going to be hit by a viral pandemic of a global scale? you know, a month before it happened. Um, You know, now when we trace the steps back, you can find, oh, this could have led us to this clue. This could have led us to this clue. But if you're not expecting it, you're not going to sit there and wait for those clues or, or, you know, seek out those clues, right? So in terms of, you know, preparedness, um, maybe what we could have done better is equipment, you know, that PPE disaster that happened. That's something that we could have done for preparedness for any viral outbreak, you know, not, not this, not a coronavirus, any type of um, viral outbreak that are, those are some things that we could have done. Now, should we have had a vaccine prepared for coronavirus? Sure, maybe, but then there's a million other viruses we should have vaccines prepared for, yeah. you know? That's yeah. interesting. I think one of the things I, 
I obviously I wanted to highlight with you is about public health, but how do you think this has uh, affected our healthcare as we transition into that conversation? Healthcare and comorbidities of our population. What was the question, Doctor D? How, How do you we... think this is all affected? Like COVID nineteen yeah. has maybe has exposed the, yeah. the health of our nation and the potentially the breakdown of our healthcare system, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would love to see reform on it, on, oh, regardless yes. of affiliation. You know. Um, yeah. So a few points there. So comorbidities. You know, just having a chronic illness just puts you at such a disadvantage from head to toe, not from even a physical standpoint, mentally, physically, financially, economically. It's having a chronic illness is is really just the our Achilles heel of our society, I think. There's it just impacts you negatively on so many levels. And this I is agree. just one facet. Yeah. This is just one facet. Um, but in terms of healthcare reform, now that's that's huge. That's something that's, there's so much to say. There's so much to talk about. But I don't think you and I on an individual level, just by sheer will, can really uproot and upheave the system and, and make any changes. I'm just going to be honest. It's so deep rooted. It's so, it's such a chronic, chronological problem Of course, it's the change that we all want to see, but I don't think it's as simple as we want to see the change, so it's going to change. Well, what can be done? Like, well, what has to be done or what type of system would you like to see? Hmm, that's a great question because I've I've studied healthcare systems all over um, the world as well. Um, I'm originally from Bangladesh, and in my, in my country, there is no healthcare system. It's a it's a pay per service. So if you have the money mm-hmm. to 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 see a doctor for a consultation, you can get care. Um, if they prescribe you a week of antibiotics and you can only afford three of those seven pills, um, that's your healthcare. You know, um, I've also um, studied healthcare in Australia and, of course, in U.S. And what we see in U.S., the system itself is a mixture of systems from Europe um, and and the Eastern Hemisphere. So what we see is a payer system as well as an insurance system. And it's such a what they tried to do really when they were establishing the system is take the best of systems across the world. And it just ended up being a mishmash that doesn't accomplish any of that, you know, it's just neither here nor there. Uh, there's so but much what's the problem? Here. Like, what is, what yeah. do you think the current issue, well, what are the, some of the biggest issues with our current healthcare system, like, and being specific um, that we need to tackle? Okay. So let's first start with what it is. I, I think right now it's a struggle between government and private. It's between it's mm. a p- private and public struggle. You, we've okay. got a capitalist economy, which means that private insurance companies, private healthcare companies want the gains, want the wins. Then we've got government try to fill in those gaps with certain um, state-funded programs. But of course, here funding is sometimes lacking and dependent on so many factors, right? So we've got two systems kind of battling to be on top. And then we've got our patients and our and the population who's kind of confused, like, which way do I go? Where am I going to win? And ultimately end up with mediocre to barely good health care. Why is the, you know, I've well, I've heard you know, the increasing price of healthcare and especially with employer, employer sponsored, um, healthcare, it keeps increasing. Mm -hmm. Why does that keep increasing all the time? 
Great question. And that depends on this is a like a market economy kind of thing with supply and demand. When so insurance, health insurance specifically is state governed based on state. So when you have, let's say your state, you're in Washington, right, sir? Yeah. Let's say your your state has uh, 15 insurance companies who are offering their services, their plans to the population uh, of, of Washington. But then you know, five of those decide to pull out. They say, nah, we're not interested anymore. We're not making enough money in Washington. We're going to pull out. We're, we're just not going to offer our services here. So now you've got 10 companies offering their services and, you know, not enough people. Then what happens is their prices increase because there's not enough, you know, services to meet the, the demand of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that's really why. There's also that... You know, a lot of people, I think they struggle with their health care because, you know, super high deductibles, pre-existing conditions, things of that nature. Um, and there's this, it seems like a pull for Medicare for all. Can you explain that, what that means? And just because I think we get so much information yeah. and people see, a, they don't even know what this stuff means half the no. time. I wanted to break <laughs> it down, you know, yeah. like, what does this mean? You're right. Medicare for all is is like a target. It's like a super trendy, flashy, yes. uh, you know, like, oh, yeah, I support Medicare for all. But what does that really mean? So Medicare. So let's define Medicare first. Medicare is government sponsored health insurance after the age of 64. If you've been a loyal, tax paying, law abiding citizen uh, in the country paying your taxes, then when you turn 64, you are eligible to have the U.S. government pay 80 percent of of your health insurance costs in a nutshell. Okay. Now, what the Medicare for All movement is saying is, oh, that's great, but why do I have to be 64 for that? I want that now. I want the government to pay all my uh, 80% of my expenses now. So that's that movement, Medicare for All. It's a type of healthcare reform law that would allow uh, individuals to get benefits from the government earlier than 64. There's a lot of issues with that. It sounds fantastic. It sounds it like it's great. <laughs> I know. I want I want that too. I don't want to pay for my health insurance, but you have to think about the logistics and operations of this. How realistic is it that if social security and Medicare is struggling to keep up with funds for 64 plus, how can they possibly make this happen for people 18 plus? You know, it sounds amazing, but you just got to be realistic. You think about what you're asking for here. Is that really possible? I don't know. How do you how do you pay for that? Like with all people, <laughs> I think this. I mean, it feels like that's the question. Um, sounds like a good thing. What are what are the alternatives to that? What are some other aspects that people are pulling for besides Medicare for all? Um. So I think I think what to uh, I'm going to answer your question a different way. Like you know, the concept is great because that's what you want, right? There's but there's other ways that. Uh, you know, going back to what I said, that you and I individually can't accomplish this Medicare for all. We can't create money for this country to fund health insurance for everyone. So what can we do, right? And this is something that I like to kind of um, inform and educate. We know so little about health insurance, and my role is really just to educate and inform so you can make informed choices. And what I always say is insurance is insurance, and insurance is always going to win. You and I can't make that change. So if we know that I can't win as a, as a little guy, as you know, the consumer, what can I do then? Well, we can find a plan that's going to work, that's going to make sure that you're least out of pocket and you have the benefits you need to, to get your health care costs covered, 
right? We can't change the country. We can't upheave the system. But what you can do is really understand it better so you can pick the plan that's going to make sense and you're actually going to be happy with it. Because why is all this happening? You're just unhappy with the system because the system's not working for you. But instead of trying to change the system and indiv- you know, as an individual, let's just try to leverage the system so y- mm. you can come out on top a little bit. You can feel like, all right, I'm winning here. You know, I'm happy with my plan. It's covering what it needs to. It's not breaking my bank. You know, that's what we can do. So talk a little bit about, and I mean, you and I have had these discussions and I was like, man, I can't wait for this to get on <laughs> wax here because I think this is the key, the aspect of being healthier and having yeah. a better insurance plan that yes. it, it kind of rewards you being in a better physical condition or general health. Yes, yes, yes. And this is, you know, going to be sound amazing to some, but it's going to suck to others. And that's just right. the reality of it too, <laughs> because yeah. there's no insurance plan that's going to make everyone happy. That doesn't even make any sense, right? You know, yeah. either you're going to be happy, you're going to piss someone off with one plan, but then there's other plans that someone, you know, it's just, that's just the reality of it. So what I suggest is depending on your situation, if you're young, healthy, your workout, you're fit, you're you're doing all the right things, get the insurance plan that's going to reward you for that. Now, on the other side of the coin, if you're chronically ill, you know, you have cancer, that's not your fault. You need a healthcare plan that's going to step up for you to pay for those things that you needed to, you know. Um, so so get the plan that works for that. And I'm here to tell you that there's options for everybody. Um, and I love the option that you mentioned uh, for being fit and healthy. That's something called a medically underwritten policy. And it's a type of plan that I love to talk about. I endorse it fully uh, where you get rewarded for being healthier. You get better benefits for being a lower health risk individual to a health insurance company. Now, is this almost, is this kind of comparable to, maybe it's not, um, like life insurance and getting a really low life insurance premium, but a really, you know, a high, how do I want to say this? Like sure. you have a huge life insurance, let's say $1.5 million life insurance, but yes. you're paying very little because you have uh, demonstrated that you, your risk is very, very low. That's right. That's exactly, right? that's a great analogy. the same thing? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is the same thing. It is actually just like that. But instead of getting a life policy, you're actually getting a health insurance policy. But the back end actuarial uh, statistical analysis and, and risk ca- categorization actually works the same way. Um, and a little bit of history here, the reason a lot of people get pissed off with this, especially if they're on the other side of the coin, right, um, is in 2008, the Affordable Care Act um, that President Obama established says that you can get a health plan regardless of your health status. Now, that's appealing for those that are chronically ill, right, um, that do have, have major medical expenses. So if I'm talking to someone like that and I talk to them about, oh, being healthy, being young, they get pretty pissed at me. They're like, well, don't ask me my weight, you know, don't ask me my, my pre-existing conditions because you're not allowed to ask that, which is true. Uh, according to the Affordable Care Act, if uh, for a government-sponsored marketplace plan, you're not allowed to ask that. Those are guaranteed issue policies. It doesn't matter what your, um, you know, health status is. But if you're a healthy person shopping for those insurance options on your state's marketplace, you're going to be pretty pissed off because those are not going to look like good plans to you. You're going to have high premiums, high deductibles you're never going to meet, you know. So there's two sides of the coin and you just got to leverage which side you're on. As a physician, how do you... 
What, what was your response to the Affordable Care Act? How did that either change or how did you have to change to meet the um, this implementation of it? Great question. And and I didn't, I haven't uh, practiced in the U.S., so I have a different perspective, but I can talk to you about the implications from a physician standpoint as well. The Affordable Care Act, in theory, Dr. D, is again amazing, just like Medicare for All. Uh, but in reality, the people that are signing up for it here are the factors that determine its success. The number of people signing up for it, the quality of people signing up for it, and the insurers on the marketplace that are providing these benefits. It started out good with people signing up, but then it trailed off bad because those that were signing up were chronically ill. They're needing those benefits greatly. It's not the healthy people, it's the sick people and that are signing up. And insurers pulled out of the of the marketplace. So now you have uh. not enough insurers, way too many sick people who are using these benefits to the max. So the price is getting way hiked for the healthy people who barely use their insurance. So they you they're ending up paying high premiums for the for the uh, sick people, those on the lower end of the SES, um, you know, and it was just, that's why it was just a disaster. And how physicians ended up is they were just not getting paid, you know, because who's mm. going to pay them? You know, the insurers are pulling out. Um, there's not enough funds to pay physicians to take care of the lower SES people, those that are chronically ill. So we've got sick people needing all the benefits, insurers pulling out of the marketplace, doctors not getting paid. It was a disaster on all levels. But in theory, you know, it was supposed to be grand. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have very mixed feelings about it, honestly. Yeah. I think it was one of the first things that happened in healthcare in my lifetime that like actually affected me okay, like, as okay. an adult. Yeah. And as a um, director of a, of a business, it drastically affected, uh, you know, who could get benefits, uh, the hours that, um, you know, for full time versus part time. It actually changed a huge amount of that aspect in the business I was running uh, for another company. Um, but I see there's maybe some movement of trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Is that because of all the things you just mentioned or is there another reason why? Yeah, uh, pretty much yes, and also because of the administration. You know, it was established yeah. under the Obama administration, and now with uh, the Trump administration is just trying to dismantle. So there's definitely a political um, side to all of this. But also, yes, you know, it, it, the success of it or the lack thereof um, is a determining factor. Um, but but I don't think that there's necessarily a better solution out there either. You know, mm. I think I think that this is this is great for a certain population. It might not be great for the young, healthy business owner, but I do think it's, it's helped out, you know, the, the Medicaid population, the chronically ill population a lot. They were able to get healthcare when they never had before. Um, so again, you just can't make everybody happy. And, and I just don't have all the answers for what's best, you know? I wonder what's going to happen though, in the sense that, um, I mean, you know, as you know, a healthcare provider in the field that it's not like people are getting on in mass healthier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The statistics for obesity, I think around 42% in the US yeah. and projected yep. to be significantly higher in 20 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. What, how does that happen? How does that influence what's going to happen with our healthcare or our public health in this country? Mm. That's such a, that's such a great question as well. Um, and you know, I think 
the reason you're right, like, how does that has that helped our population? It hasn't really, because if you see the numbers, clearly it hasn't helped. And what will help? Um, and I think, again, because there's such um, so many parties involved and, and this freedom to choose or not choose the freedom to choose where you get your health insurance, however you want your health care coverage. Right. You take care of yourself your own way. This lack of cohesive direction, um, lack yes. of like, you know, go here, do this. Focus on preventive care, work out. Here's your dietary plan. This is how we get healthy as a nation. There's no one here wagging a finger at us and telling us this is what you have to do. Um, and because of that lack of direction, I feel like we just, because when you're not in the field, you're in fitness, Dr. D, you know what to yeah. do. There's, if you're not in the field, you don't know what to do. And if someone's not directing you or guiding you, you're so likely to make those wrong decisions that lead you down this this path of chronic illness, of obesity, and, and all the you know issues we're facing health-wise. You know, you mentioned the word freedom, yeah. which is very interesting to me because it makes me think, is our freedom a hindrance in this aspect of things, our freedom to choose, you know, private, government, whole thing? Is it is it the paralysis of too many options? That's that's a great question, and you know, again, some people might be angered by my response or taken a wrong way, but I think yes, because you yes, we deserve our freedom, but when we don't have um, professional guidance um, in the areas where we don't have you know education or or you know a professional background that that freedom can translate to poor choices you know and that's i think what we're, we've seen you know for our nation's general health status as a whole i think it's interesting with covid 19 and this time as at least in my opinion has showed what the vulnerability of our health in our country um, but also that and you compare it to other countries there there are some countries that have a very robust if if you want to call it welfare welfare mm -hmm. state or country mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where citizens are kind of a natural right of citizenship is being taken care of with health care and, mm -hmm. and housing and things. And it feels like that's an area, it feels like, I don't know for sure. It feels like that's an area that we're not that great at because no. yeah. our freedom is amazing. Don't get me wrong. The freedom sure. is amazing, but I think in some areas it's not good. I just really believe that. I think this is an area, it's crippling mm -hmm. us, I think. It is crippling. It is crippling. And you're right. Like, How can other countries do it so well? How can the residents of this country all have amazing health care and we don't, right? Um, and I And this is not specific to health or health care. I think it's it's all about like funds. You know, if we mm. took funds from... I don't know, wars or the military or weapons, you know, and put and funded it to like took tri those trillions of dollars and say, we're going to dedicate these trillions of dollars to our healthcare system. And that means we're going to standardize it, whether you want to call it Medicare for all or Medicaid for all, I don't know, but here's the funds to do it. And we're just going to dedicate this to one standard system of healthcare. Um, and that, and that's really how to do it. It's really the decision makers who choose to not fund and, and to give yeah. this, like, throw it to the dogs. Like, let's throw it to the capitalist people and let the insurance companies figure it out. And that's why they win and the consumers get screwed. Patients get screwed. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the whole conversation that was started not too long ago about universal basic income. I mean, it's not yeah. a new idea. Sure, sure. Uh, but it's, it's been given a lot of light, especially during this time. You know, stimulus checks, while well, sure. those are not yeah. regular. but. 
Yeah. How do you get a nation that has a lot of poverty and people who are suffering and don't have access to things and move them forward? And I think we're seeing that we might need a system that, uh, I don't want to say reward, but because of nat- your, your being a human being gets you certain rights, home, shelter, health care. It's hard for people, to, in my opinion, to think about getting ahead if they don't have their basic needs met. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're not all, we don't all start at the same start line. In a sense, no. there's mm-hmm. some people who are starting behind the line, way behind the curve. And mm-hmm. how do we help those people if, yeah. the, if, if, if really we are putting people behind the eight ball immediately yeah. and then asking them to get out of it on their own? And I think uh, maybe people might not like hearing this, but it's, it's too easy to say, well, they should just help themselves mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, did you grow up in a place where extreme poverty and you spent witness violence all the time and you didn't know whether you're going to get shot going to school? I think it's easy to have that mentality when you've never experienced true fear in growing up and true poverty. Like if you were born into a wealthy family, what would you know about real fear yeah. Yeah. related yeah. to when you were going to eat, when you were going to, if you were going to able to actually go to a good school and things of that nature? So I think we, we're just experiencing this gap because people don't really understand each other. And I think healthcare is part of that too. It's like we're experiencing this huge gap and, and how we're getting, uh, getting healthier. I mean, think of like government officials and stuff. Their healthcare is so good. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Yeah. Like, why do they get to have good healthcare and some people why? have to scrounge? Yeah, that's not you fair. Know, why is that more important than other people? I always wonder that. You know, yeah, yeah, or lifetime healthcare, yeah, yeah, certain, really. And, and <laughs> I, I, I come across people who are who hate their job, but they won't leave it just for their healthcare benefits because benefits. it's good. Yeah, the benefits. So think about that. Like people giving up on their dreams and you know forfeiting a happy life. You know, going to a job that they hate just for healthcare benefits. Mm. You know, to be forced to make that decision just because you don't know where else to go and you can't afford a private insurance. Right? You got to take what they give you and. This is the best because your family needs it. So you're absolutely right. Like having experiences, you know, like like this, like experiencing fear um, and having those experiences define the policies that you stand by and the movements that you support. I, you know, that's, that's just what it is. That's the reality. You know, what's also interesting, I think is, uh, and I I had this mindset before I became an entrepreneur was like, I need to have an employer sponsored healthcare program. Mm -hmm. Like I need Mm -hmm. to be on my employer's health insurance. And it wasn't until I had to stick out on my own that I actually discovered that there were more options out there. And actually I like my, even though I'm not thrilled with my healthcare insurance, Mm -hmm. it's actually just as good as the employer sponsored healthcare insurance I had previously for like 12 years. And Great. that floored me, actually. Mm. So I was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I could have been doing this, but I never even tried to look at yeah. other options. 
Do you that, see that a lot with people? A lot. And more and more now, um, Dr. D, especially because of so many job changes due to COVID as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just so used to you get a job. When can I get my health package? I'll sign up for that immediately. Right. You don't even review. You have option A, option B. <laughs> OK, I'll choose the one that's cheapest out of pocket for me. Yes. That's just yes. Out of my paycheck. You yeah. have no idea what it covers and it doesn't. You hardly use it. And then you go to the doctor maybe once a year and pay your copay and that's it. I, and I come across that all the time. And a lo- another thing is, you know, employers, they take care of their employees well. But once you start adding your wife and kids, it's a massive jump sometimes. Mm, it's massive. an a, a, absurd jump. And I was like, does it even make sense, you know, to add my wife and kids? And those are those are some of the things I come across now. And when I talk to people, I ask them like, well, how much is coming out of your paycheck for that health insurance plan? And they don't even know. <laughs> They're like, yeah. oh, we have an option here? I'm like, yes, you do. Because your employer, your company size uh, determines what plans your employer has access to. So the bigger your company, the company is, you know, they can offer a, a more subsidized or a lower cost to their employees. But if you work for a small company and they don't have, uh, you know, access to, to wonderful benefits, you don't necessarily have to opt into that. You can also explore other options. I think the options part is really important. Like when you and I were talking off air. And I, it like it dawned on me like that I could actually have a different health insurance for my family. I was like, I never thought of that. <laughs> you know, like like yeah. maybe I should focus on myself as an individual and then my family should maybe have a different one based off of their Exactly. The needs and the whole, that's a great point, you know, and and when I propose that to some people, I think, you know, more and more, it's becoming more commonplace. But I would say like a year ago, when I would propose like, you know, you can be on a separate policy, it's, they got back to me, the reactions I got was like, I'm asking them to get a divorce. I'm like, it's not that big a deal, guys, (laughs) you can have a split family plan. It's just like paying two bills, right? Um, And and the benefit here is just like you said, you want to find a plan that works for you, but you might not have the same needs needs as as your your wife or your kid right right it's yeah. uh it's actually daunting to th- you know like not daunting that's not the word it's actually like mind-blowing to think about i'm like wait a minute i'm never using this yeah but they're using it a lot more often sure why sure. should i be paying for this when i'm not using it like oh, yeah. well, there's got to be a better plan for me or for yeah. someone else and i think that's kind of what our discussion was you know, and, and actually my financial advisor is the same way was like with uh, life insurance and stuff. He's like, listen, yeah. dude, you're way healthy. You should not be paying a high premium for this. In fact, you yeah. should get a really robust life insurance plan and we're going to medically underwrite it so you can pay yes. a cheap amount exactly. because the odds of you having this happen are much lower. So you shouldn't be paying the same as someone who's high risk. Precisely, precisely. And that's a great example. And another really simple one I like to say to illustrate this is, you know, let's say you're trying to have a baby, right? You need a really good Mm -hmm. maternity plan to cover your your well baby visits, your mama visits, and of course, cover that delivery. But that's not every year, you know, you can you can kind of anticipate or plan for that. And that's a female thing. So if you're a couple or a family who's planning to have a baby and you need a really good maternity plan, your whole dang family doesn't need to get on that maternity coverage yeah. plan. You do, you know? Um, so that, that's another example to say, like, just just think about that a little. You don't always have the same needs as the others in your family. And it's okay to to change and switch up insurance plans as your life 
changes. Again, we're trying to leverage your side of the coin for your life situation to make sure that, you know, how can I win against the insurance companies this year? Yes. And one of the things, are you a proponent of, I mean, I'm not sure, but like, should you be evaluating your health insurance on a yearly basis, bi-yearly basis and, hey, do I need to change this? You know, what's that conversation like? I would say every year, every year year. you got to Yeah. Check it out. See how much your rates are going up. It doesn't hurt just to check, you know, and another thing I would say is don't wait for open enrollment. That's like that, you know, big time of the year, the end of the year when everybody's kind of like, oh crap, my, my renewal is coming up. What do I do? Do I keep it? But waiting until the end that everything happens at the end of the year, man, you know, it's holidays, you're doing this. The insurance, nobody wants to talk about it anyway, and you definitely don't want to talk about it when you're it's holiday time and you've got a million other things to do. So don't wait. Um, there's plans you could you could get all year round. So just pick a time for yourself where you can just sit and number one, understand what you have. You know, insurance is confusing for a lot of people. That's something I love to just let me just evaluate your plan. Like, what's your premium? What's your deductible? Have you ever even met that deductible? You know, if yes, that's good. Take advantage of that for the rest of the year. If no, why are you on that plan? You know, let's get you something yeah. else. So I think a lot of people wait for that open enrollment period because they're used to that with their employer. Yeah, yeah. And oh, you can only come in on this time or sure. in, you know, special circumstances you have a child or something like that. Yeah. And they don't think like this is a year-round thing. Yeah. Like you could check it out and see what's available and and and, and uh, kind of shop around, you know. Yeah. And just know the numbers, you know, like Dr. D, I think we had a conversation just knowing the numbers helps you financially yeah. plan better too, right? Yeah, most definitely. And I I think it's healthcare in general. It's kind of like this weird, like bizarro land where like people just kind of accept it as it is. They feel they have no power to figure out other options within it. And it was like, I had another guy on who was more in the admin aspect of healthcare. And we were talking about like medical billing transparency and how like you get, you get something done. And then all of a sudden you get this big bill later. Like you have no clue how much it's going to cost before you get it done whatever procedure. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're just dropped with a massive bill. Um, you know, if you uh, haven't met your deductible mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's kind of like people are just kind of like drowning in healthcare. I'm like, yeah. what do yeah. I do? Why is this so- cost so much? I didn't even right. know how much it was going to cost. Yeah. Why am I paying this premium and still paying money? Also yes. on top of that. Yeah, you're right. And that's a, that's another really important point right there of two f- important things is why is it that you, why can you not have any idea of what to expect expenses wise <laughs> for something like that's absurd. What do you mean? Nobody has any clue how much this is going to cost. Why not? Why doesn't have anyone, anyone have an idea, you know? So that, that's one, that thing that's really wrong. And, and now more and more we're having resources that, at least get, estimate out of pocket costs. They can't guarantee, but at least help you estimate. Yeah. So, so that's good. Um, I've seen we have, that. Yeah. yeah, I looked at that not too long ago, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." You know, yeah. like normal so life, you know what you're getting a little yes. bit. You know? <laughs> like, like a something. You know, like give me an idea. Am I gonna be like have to sell my house or a kidney for this, or can I? Right. You know, do I have? You know, you money? get a quote for most things. You know, if yes. you want to get your fence done in your backyard, you don't sure. just. I mean, unless you're swimming in money or whatever, you you don't just like, oh, yeah, do that. Do that. For me. Like, <laughs> you're like, you no, how know. much is this going to cost me? Sure. An estimate. And then I'll make a decision. Exactly. But it's, they don't even allow you to do that. So I you're know. basically like, okay, here's some, 
number that I have no clue what it is. Yeah. And uh, yeah. hey, just just send me that bomb later. You know. Like, <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Opening so up true. your the mail, you're like, what is this? What is Why this? Why does this cost this much? Oh my god, I know. I was just there for an hour. Right. <laughs> Especially if you don't know like how your insurance covers it too. Like you said, like yes. you're paying a premium. You know, and this is a big misconception I come across too. Like just because you have a high premium or like no deductible, that doesn't mean insurance is going to cover a hundred percent. Right. You know, and, and that's something that's really important to understand that insurance is never meant to cover a hundred percent, but you have to understand the benefits enough and then apply it to that estimated cost to kind of figure out your out of pocket. So but to, um, to know that you got to first know, Hey, what is my benefits? What is my coverage like? You know, am I going to get a bill or is this a hundred percent covered? So those are really important things to know and understand and really just take some time to look into it. You know, just because you sign up for insurance, it doesn't mean that anything happened, you're going to be good. You, you got to know what you have. Do you find that mo a lot of people are not looking this deeply into these things? Oh, absolutely. The one place that maybe when you're shopping around, you take a look at the coverage, you know, okay, is my, my wellness covered? Great. So I got some prescription coverage. I can get some labs done. One thing people almost never look at are limitations and exclusions. And different policies can have really random and absurd. I'll give you one example. I won't say, you know, the plan or whatever, but there's a plan that does not cover ear infections or UTI infections for women in the first six months of the policy. So random. So what if you have a UTI in the first six months and you get a bill, you know, you're going to be pretty infuriated to, to find out that, what do you mean it doesn't cover UTIs in the first six months? But had you known that, you know, managing that expectation is really important. So when you shop and look for a plan, make sure you understand all of it, not just the coverages, but the limitations and exclusions. So when that event happens, you're not caught off guard. You know, like, all right, all right, I knew that this wasn't covered. How can that be done better, though? Like, even when I was on an, an employer a sponsored plan. I don't, I mean, you know, you're given all this information, you know, attachments, read through sure. this summary. Sure. And you know, people, man, they're not going to yeah. look through like 25 pages or something. Of like, like, how can it be better explained? Sort of say, okay, now you know what you're getting yourself into. These are the mm -hmm. limitations. I haven't personally seen that done very well. Yeah, well, this is this is a service that I offer when I talk to everyone, whether they like it or not, they're going to sit down for me with me from 30 to 45 minutes, we're going to do a one way screen share, and I'm going to read to them the policy, what they need to know, and what it doesn't cover. I actually take the time to do this because no one's going to do it on their own. And I know that. No one wants to and no one cares to unless they actually have to use the insurance. Uh, but this is something I do. I sit them down and I really present all of that with them. But if, if you're not working with me, you know, nowadays they have a lot of really useful tools online and, uh, you know, apps and stuff that allow you to either chat with a bot to look up coverage and benefits. I know it's tedious. I know you don't want to do it. But that one sheet PDF, when you sign up for benefits, in my opinion, is not enough. You got to really read through that policy. And if you don't want to do it, you know, reach out to me, let me do the hard work for you. But you got to do it. You got to know. I mean, this is something that affects all humans. That's the great thing about this topic. It's not like a niche thing. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's all humans sure. are looking for a way to have better health insurance or have uh, at least make the odds more in their favor Yeah. for that. And it sounds like 
well, I know from talking to you um, that, you know, it's, it's good advice and there's things to check out. And I would implore, you know, the audience to get in touch with Dr. Noor to discuss this because it's a very enlightening conversation, enlightening conversation. And I think you maybe haven't thought about it the way that yeah. she will explain it to you and what your options are. So what's the best way for people to contact you so that they can maybe begin that journey? Sure. I am all over the internet, Dr. D. I've got um, social media pages everywhere. Um, but I, I love when people just reach out to me just to have a conversation or question. And I love explaining about health insurance just the way we talked about without really any gains. Because when you make a more in informed decision, you know, you're just going to be happier. And I want that for everyone. So you can email me at um, nor at drnorhealth.com. You can send me a text or give me a call. My cell phone is 929-248-1621. Or I'm working on a website that should be good to go very soon. That's drnorhealth.com. Wonderful. Dr. Noor, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was, I mean, this was packed with information. This is a one-on-one -on -one class on health, uh, health insurance, public health, the whole thing. Thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity on this platform. Um, I hope your audience enjoys it. Uh, really, if anyone wants to just reach out and talk, I love just uh, educating and informing. I think we really need a lot more of that from a public health perspective, health insurance perspective. We all just need to know more so we can make better informed decisions. Most definitely. Thanks for your time and we'll be in touch. Okie dokie. Thanks, Dr. D. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So, get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.